coming in as Loom. Millendike centered it. Boom, happy Monday. We're back for another week. Welcome to Deadline Week. And this hour of Flames Talk is underway. Welcome to the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Be proactive in protecting your property. Get a full security audit from Calgary Lock and Safe. Visit CalgaryLockandSafe.com. Aaron Vickers at Daily Hive and Steinberg along with you this hour of Flames Talk. Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. I want to read you a text to kick off the hour. Okay. Because the trade market is on fire right now. It was on fire over the weekend. Prices through the roof. And I just wonder what it could mean for Calgary. And this text comes in um, from Travis. Pat, isn't it logical to think that you would trade off a few players at the deadline would this not give you the opportunity to retool over the summer, something the Flames have never been willing to do? That's from Travis on the text line, and the text line open this hour. For uh, those of you listening live with us on Sportsnet 960, the fan at 960-960, get them in. We'll uh, carve out lots of time to get into your text. A little bit later on this hour, I chatted with Jonathan Huberdeau Monday after practice. Uh, get a good scouting report from Calgary's number 10 on his line mate, Jacob Pelche, who I want to talk about a little bit later on this hour. That's coming up. But So the market through the roof right now. Prices are bonkers. Uh, the Timo Meyer deal was a massive deal. And, you know, I'm not looking at the Meyer deal as the ones where I'm like, whoa, look at those prices. Because Meyer was going to, that's a that's a potential, that is a bonafide 40-goal, if not 50-goal player, you're going to give up the world for him. And it could have been more had Meyer been willing to re-sign and extend right on the right right then and there. He has not. Sounds like he's not willing to commit to the Devils beyond this season as a restricted free agent. But I'm looking more at the price Tampa Bay paid to bring in Tanner Janot. I'm looking at the price that the Leafs paid earlier on this Monday for Sam Lafferty and Jake McCabe out of Chicago. The price that they paid earlier this month for Ryan O'Reilly and Noel Achari from St. Louis. The price New York paid to bring in Vladimir Tarasenko and Nico Mikola. Or the price Boston paid to acquire Dmitry Orlov and Garnet Hathaway from Washington. Hell, the price that Winnipeg paid to bring in Nino Niederreiter uh, over the weekend. These are these are the prices that I'm looking at and saying to myself, not only do I think the Flames need to check right out of the buyer's market, I just wonder about the idea of strategic selling. I'm not saying blow it up to what Travis said on the text line. I think the Flames need to heavily consider if a general manager gives you a call and says, I'm interested in player X, Here's what I'm willing to give up. Last year, subtracting a player from this roster, Tree would have said, ha, 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 thanks, man, see you at the draft. This is a little bit different. This is not last year. They are not going to win the division. They may not make the playoffs. And I look at what the Nashville Predators are doing and the St. Louis Blues are doing. And Nashville's the perfect example. The Predators actually right now have a... 
better uh, better chance standings-wise to be a playoff team than Calgary does. Not suggesting roster-wise, but standings-wise, they do. They have a higher points percentage than Calgary. They've got all the games in hand, so on and so forth. But the outgoing David Poyle, uh, who we learned on Monday, is going to retire at the end of the season. David Poyle, and now Barry Trotz, his successor, um, they have looked at their situation and said, yeah, you know what? Maybe we can make the playoffs. We've got a core. We know who's untouchable. Nobody's taken UC Saros. Nobody's taken Philip Forsberg. Nobody's taken Roman Yossi. But some of these other parts, like Nino Niederreiter and Tanner Janot, maybe like Mikhail Granlund, maybe there's a few other names in there as well. Uh, Dante Fabro is another one that, that sounds like they might be willing to move. They say, okay, these are guys that we're willing to move on from, recoup some assets, and then we can regroup and look at things in the offseason. And if we make the playoffs by selling off some of these assets, so be it. St. Louis did it three or four years ago. Same thing. Bubble playoff team, they, to steal Jay Feaster's term, looked at themselves, were intellectually honest with themselves, and said, are we an elite team this year? Probably not. We're a bubble playoff team. We might get in, take our chances, roll the dice, see what happens. But we're not going to mortgage our future just to get in. And we're also going to look in the, the larger picture, even when most people are in a small picture frame of mind. And I think there is something to that for the Calgary Flames and their approach between now and Friday. In that, they've got, I think, multiple players that are on expiring or soon-to-be expiring deals, deals that expire this summer or next summer, that at the very least, if GMX gives you a call and says, Yo, what's up? I'm willing to give you, because this is how trade conversations go. <laughs> Yo, what's up, Brad? I'm, uh, I'm willing to sauce you a, a first-round pick for Tyler Toffoli or Nikita Zadorov. One of those beauties. I'm willing, yeah. I'm willing, to, I'm willing to slide your way a third-round pick for Trevor Lewis. Like, something like that. I just, I don't think you can be afraid of subtracting from this roster based on the way this season has gone. And that doesn't mean that you can't make moves this offseason that that help you for next year. That doesn't mean that you're blowing up the entire team and completely altering course. It means that you're giving yourself a chance in the offseason with more assets to maybe go out and target other players, which helps you reshape a team that, that brings in some different blood that maybe allows you to target some other things that are more realistic to get in the offseason. I just think it's something they really need to look at because with prices as stupidly high as they are right now, I love Nikita Zadorov. I'm not trying to ship him or Tyler Toffoli or Trevor Lewis or any of these guys out the door because I appreciate what all three of them have done this year. Zadorov has had a great year. I know it's kind of fallen off the last seven or eight games or whatever it's been, but Zadorov, through the 60 games or so that he's played this year, is having a dynamite year and he's taken massive strides and I love him as a player. I don't think he's a bad player. I'm not looking to get rid of him. Tyler Toffoli is one of the best players on the team this year. I'm not looking, I'm not saying that got to get rid of this guy. And Trevor Lewis might be the most consistent guy in his role on the team. The reason why I'm talking about this is because these guys are really good hockey players that I think teams would covet who look at themselves as Stanley Cup contenders. And if there is a deal that gives you something like a first round pick, in one of the next two or three drafts, I just think you have to be open to it because that gives you, A, draft capital, or if you don't look at it like that, 
VIX, it gives you capital to do something else big in the offseason when there are more names available and there are there's more time to make a deal, there's more time to work on the structure of a deal, and there's just more flexibility to get things done. I don't think that that is a bad route for this team to go down at all. I'm of several different schools of thought on this. First and foremost, you're still within four points of a playoff spot, so if you make a move that sacrifices a Zadorov or sacrifices it to Foley, your ability to close that gap is is pretty much out the window in my books. Now, having said that, if you have the ability to, and what you're describing is basically retooling on the fly. It's moving out assets now at the trade deadline when prices will never be higher and then taking those assets from those trades and sprinkling them around the league leading into the draft perhaps and figuring out what you can do. If you can move out player X from the Calgary Flames and you get this massive haul of a return, and then I'm just going to use this name as, a, as an example, and if Wilsey's listening, he's going to love it. But if you sell off player X from the Calgary Flames, get a first, a second, a prospect, and then you knock on Vancouver's door and it's like, hey, we're short a winger. What's he asking on Brock Besser? It's not going to be substantial. So you're basically, for lack of a better term, shuffling up some of your rotation while storing assets. And again, what guys will move for in the summer is going to be drastically different than what they move for on Friday. So not only are you selling off and grabbing assets, you're going to be able to recoup much of what you sold off while still holding those assets. Now, having said that, I wonder really what the prices are going to be like from here on out. You mentioned you ran through the list of all these massive moves. Who's left that's willing to pay those exorbitant prices? The Dallas like, Stars, the Colorado Avalanche, the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, I'm sure I, there's a, the Pittsburgh Penguins. Like I, I think there are plenty of teams left that would be willing to bring in guys that they believe could help them. I wonder if the West the is top. that eager. And obviously, the East has, and Carolina still has. If you're some Colorado, stuff, but... you and and the Avs may be different because of their. But I mean, the Avs, if they're looking for an expiring contract, I think they absolutely will add something significant between now and the deadline. They want to win a second straight Stanley Cup before McKinnon goes to twelve point six and doubles his salary. And and Pittsburgh looks at it and says. How many more years in the Crosby, Latang, Malkin era do we have to do something? Let's add a defenseman. Or in the West, because it's so wide open, and for teams that are clearly going to go, the Vegas Golden Knights, the Colorado Avalanche, Dallas Stars, those are three teams that are going to be in the playoffs. I think there's lots of teams that are still willing to buy. I don't know if you can... Before, when you're you're talking about a Timo Meyer or... um, any sort Carol- of package, Carolina Carolina's, Carolina's first on my board, and they've got to be next because it's an arms race in the East, and they're the only ones in the top six, top seven, top eight that haven't done anything. I just don't know how keen the West is at this moment. You mentioned the West is absolutely wide open, but one, would Calgary prefer to move East? I'm personally of the opinion that you just take the best deal and step back away. But two, like I wonder if, because everything has been so heavily loaded to the East, does that inspire a couple of teams in the West to go really hard because not a lot of an arms race going on between, as you mentioned, Dallas, Colorado, Vegas being sort of the three that I would look at. I think you can't not look at that option if you're Brad living in the Calgary Flames because if you can find some of these returns, whether it's a second round pick for Nino Niederreiter or a first and a second for a package like we saw um with who am I blanking on here with Toronto 
Where which one? Uh, the second one, not the Mc- O'Reilly McCabe one. McCabe and Lafferty. McCabe and Lafferty. Sorry, like first and second for McCabe and La- La- Lafferty. Pardon me. Wow. Yeah. Wow. If those are available to you as the Calgary Flames, and your intention is to take those assets and reshape your roster for immediately next season, I'm all for taking a look at something like that. It's again, I'd call it a retool on the fly more than a rebuild or, or anything to that point. But I don't know how you don't take a look at it. I just wonder what the market still holds. So I look at the uh, 27-18 St. Louis Blues. They missed the playoffs by one point. They sold off a couple of assets at the deadline as a bubble playoff team. They kept their core in peace, but they sold off a couple of assets at the deadline. Missed the playoffs by a point. Now, granted, it was not the most conventional path to this. But the following year, they, they were able to use some of those assets, go acquire Ryan O'Reilly, who was a driving force en route to them winning the Stanley Cup the following season. Now, again, I know they were last place and all that type of stuff, but it's not changed the results. They missed the playoffs one year, sold off a few assets at the deadline, used some of the pieces recouped, went off and approached their deadline as sorry, their their offseason a certain way. They come back the next year, and when it's all said and done, they're raising the Stanley Cup at the end of the 18-19 season. That's and I'm not suggesting that, well, if the Flames do this, uh, they're gonna win the Stanley Cup next year. I'm not suggesting that. But I just think that if you make a strategic move or so, if it is a really good offer, it's it's not like, A, you will then clearly not make the playoffs because St. Louis went on a pretty good run that year uh, and just missed. And B, it also means, it doesn't mean that you're you're blowing it up and are not committed to winning or trying to be good again next year. It just means that maybe you're not putting every single resource into this year. You're looking slightly more big picture than just March 3rd. And you're saying to yourself, okay, can this help us get better next year? I don't think there's anything wrong with with that because you're right. If prices are stupid high right now and you can cash in on that, well, maybe what you get, like if you look at it as as an exchange rate, well, maybe if you cash in now and the dollar is at a buck five and in the off season the what you're competing against it's down to seventy five cents. Well, now all of a sudden the assets that you've acquired they're still the assets. They're just maybe worth more during the off season. I think there's something to it. 100% prices are going to be more expensive come this week and Friday than it will be on draft day in June or whatnot. And if you're able to capitalize on that market, use it to your advantage, you might be sacrificing the balance of the season. I think you very much would be. But if it puts you in a better spot to compete next year as opposed to sneaking into the playoffs as the number eight seed this year, I don't see why you don't entertain those thoughts. Again, I'm just curious as to where the prices are now. A lot of those big names are off the board, but given what we've seen players go for, I wonder if there's an influx of other names that started to creep out between now and Friday as becoming available because suddenly you're asking a first to pick and a prospect, whereas before, you know, maybe you weren't so keen on moving somebody because you're looking at just like a second round pick and a prospect, just seeing where things go. The other fly in the ointment here is... I'm not, you know, we're not 100% this is going to happen. But don't write off the idea of Matt Coronado being on this team at some point this year. He's now, or he will be at some point done his sophomore season in college. And Harvard. At Harvard. And I do think that, I think that he had a hard decision to make after his freshman year, decided to go back for a second year. 
I think that they would like to sign him for this year. I'm quite confident they would like to sign him for this year. And it probably is a little easier to sign him if you're like, yeah, you know what? There's a spot open. Like, we're we're going to play you. And and I know that there, then the, the immediate rebuttal would be, yeah, but look who the head coach is. I think if they sign Matt Coronado, the head coach would find a place for him to play in the roster or on the roster or in the lineup. Uh, I just, you know, that's that's also something to think about. And I'm not even suggesting that could be, oh, there's your deadline acquisition. I just think that's something that that also plays into it. Like, how does Coronado potentially fit? If he wants to sign and they want to sign him, how does he fit? How do you get him onto the NHL roster between now and the end of the season? And and who knows, you know, if they, they don't make it, it's a whole lot easier to play younger guys. If they're still in a fight, it's a different conversation. I just think that's an interesting thing to bring up in this conversation as well. It's wild to think that a week ago, we probably wouldn't have this conversation based on where they were in the standings, the potential this roster still has, because I still think that they have a great roster. They just haven't, they're not cohesively greater than the sum of the parts at the moment. But if you're able to gather some assets that you can use to further reshape this team, if if that is the desired goal, and I think at at some point you're going to see some roster turnover, why not, again, why not cash in when it's a buck 25 and then sell off when it's 75 cents on the dollar again? It was a great analogy as someone that has a little USD in the bank account. You're always watching the exchange rate. Why not cash out and then inject back in when you can buy low? And again, I'm not saying you chase it. I'm not saying, like, I don't think the Flames should be in straight sell mode. Like Chicago and and Columbus and Nashville and Anaheim, like these these guys are like, hey, hey, look at us. You want this guy? They're waving flags. They got those weird guys with the arms flailing. Wacky outside. inflatable. They got the wacky inflatables man. getting um they're they're all they're all looking for people to come buy their wares. I'm not suggesting the flame should be like, we're open for business. I'm just saying that strategically, because I can guarantee you, Pat and Aaron are not the only people who have brought this up in the NHL. I can guarantee you a general manager or a hockey op staff from team A, team B, team X, team Y would be thinking the same thing and saying, let's give tree a call. Let's just see. We, we like this player. He's got one year left on his deal. Let's see if there's a conversation to be had. And if they come with a good deal that is commensurate to the prices that are being paid right now, I just don't think Tree can hang that up. That's all I'm saying. I don't, I don't think you can be like, thanks, but no thanks. We're no chance. This roster's untouchable. I just don't think you can do that right now. Well, and if you're able to even get some assets for now and then head into the offseason and look at some players that are available, if it costs you a first-round pick, Okay, it costs you a first-round pick that you acquired at the trade deadline in exchange for the ever-popular Player X. Suddenly, you can start well, moving your assets X. around. Oh, he's good in the room, hey? Yeah, oh, for sure. The intangibles, of course, he threw the roof. If you're able to take those assets, sit on them for three months, and then, again, a first-round pick's never more valuable than when you're on the draft floor. So if you can acquire one at the deadline for a player that's never going to be worth more and then take that asset and maximize it again at the NHL draft, Suddenly you're trading, what is it, a paperclip for a house? Is that the uh, yeah. is that the old story? Yeah. If you can find a way to do that, then you're putting yourself a little bit further ahead, I think. Uh, let's get to the text line at 960-960. Um, this reads, with the prices being paid for players this deadline, they absolutely need to be sellers. The assets you can pull in for players that expire after next season would be huge. And again, I'm not suggesting that they should go out and 
try to sell off everybody or blow it up. I just think there are a few pieces on this team that you could say, yeah, this could get us something because they're having good years. They would be coveted by other teams. And I really want to make it clear. I'm not trying to run dudes out of town here. I just look at contract situations, look at the cap situation for next year, and look at what this team has done this year. If there's somebody that is coveted by another team that is not like full-on a core piece going forward, I just don't think that you can you can say no, unequivocally no. I think there needs to be a conversation had there. Uh, this says, speaking of selling, I'd be curious to hear who you have on the current roster that would be considered untouchable. I have a very short list that may actually have no one on it. That's from Jordan and Kelowna. Um, I think there's a few for me. Uh, like Rasmus would be untouchable right now. Um, Lindholm remains that for me, just based on the role that he plays. Uh, Pelche would be untouchable for me. Um, th- th- that would be that would be kind of the three that come to my mind right away. Um, you know, I think there are others that would be kind of in that next tier of, yeah, it's going to be tough to pry that guy away, whether it's you know because of their contract situation or what they mean to the team. And then, and then there's more that, that fall into more reasonable or likely in the conversation. Yeah, I don't know if I have a set list of I can't move this guy under any circumstance. A couple of the names you mentioned, logistically, it probably doesn't make sense unless the return is incredibly overwhelming to say on a Calgary radio station that even Wayne Gretzky got traded once. Well, there you go. Everybody's available for the right price. There's just a lot of players the return will never get to that price to justify moving them, especially at the deadline. Even as we say, the deadline's gone bonkers this year with the asking yeah. price. Like Realistically, every player is tradable in the NHL, not just the Calgary Flames. It's just who's going to pay that premium to pry out players. It's just not all that likely. Uh, this says Tree Living should be listening carefully on everyone. This reads, if Treliving truly takes his cues from his team, then he needs to explore all options. Mediocrity can't be acceptable. I realize we're dealing with humans and their families, but this is a business, and movement is part of the game. Uh, This from um, Mike, who says, this is a deep draft. If you can get an offer you can't refuse, you got to take it. Everyone's on the table. I personally wanted to rebuild last summer after Gaudreau and Kachuk left, so here's a chance to start that process that should have happened in my eyes last year. Um, this says, Toffoli's the best option, in my opinion, having a career year. Value will never be higher. Trade him, open up a roster spot that can be used by Coronado at the end of the year. Easier to sign him with a spot open in the top nine. Also can give Phillips an audition. Uh, what else we got here uh, at 960, 960? This says, Pat, you're assuming that their pieces are desirable to other winning clubs. Uh, they're thin in a ton of areas. Well, I think some of the names that we've thrown out, Trevor Lewis is a two-time cup winner. Again, I'm not su- I would even suggest trade him and bring him back yep. in the offseason. That's 100%. how much I appreciate the guy. I think Trevor Lewis would be a great, whether it's on the Flames or elsewhere, Trevor Lewis is the type of guy you want playing every game in the playoffs. Full stop. You want that guy on your roster in the lineup on a nightly basis in the playoffs. The things that he does, the details that he takes care of, he plays with a hard-nosed edge. He has been deep multiple times in the postseason. That's a guy you want. So whether it's on the Flames and they make the playoffs, it'll be really important they have him. Or if they go in another direction, he could be really a really important piece elsewhere. And I, I think the same is true with Zadorov and Toffoli. 
I think those are all really good examples. And I even think I even think a guy like Lucic is is a guy with an expiring contract. If the Flames are willing to help with the cap hit between now and the end of the season, that's a guy that if somebody comes calling, you got to at the very least explore what type of return is there. And on any one of those four guys, I have no problem with them being on the team after the deadline because I think they all help the team in different ways. I'm not suggesting that you need to get rid of these guys because they're no good. I'm looking at it more pragmatically where they are, what this trade deadline looks like in terms of what the market is suggesting. I just don't think there can be very much that is off the table right now. Trevor Lewis to me is a very interesting move because it's something I've thought about a little bit where he opens up a spot for a younger guy if you move him now and you can audition that younger player for the balance of the season and then you have the option perhaps to bring Trevor Lewis back in the offseason on another one-year deal. To me, Trevor Lewis is one of those players that you mentioned it. He has the experience. He has the cup rings, quite honestly. He's got the defensive acumen to help on that fourth line of any team's fourth line in the NHL. He can help the penalty kill. He's very versatile in that he can play center or wing. You probably prefer him on the wing on your fourth line if you're a Stanley Cup contender for me. But he can just aid in a lot of different elements for a team that's banking on a long playoff run. For me, he'd be a guy that I would be curious to see what you could get on the market and then definitely try to bring him back in the summer. It's fun. It's it's a it's a fun conversation. It's I think an important conversation. Um and I don't like what's your confidence level that that might transpire for them? I have no idea. I have no idea what to expect. I wouldn't be surprised if there's three or four moves by the Calgary Flames. I wouldn't be surprised if there was none. I've got no feel whatsoever. Great, <laughs> great, great guest to have it's on. Not, great co-host. Un- I have no idea what's going to happen. It's not unfair, though. I will I will give you that. Um, just quickly, the NHL has been red hot on the trade front over the weekend, late last week. I'll just give you a, a couple of bullet points in terms of what's jumped out to me. I, I love ever since New Jersey got tied to Meyer about a month ago, I thought that was going to be a perfect fit. Timo Meyer on one of the wings With of Jack, Jack Hughes. Hughes like, one word, look out. Uh, I think that that is a great addition for the Devils. And when was the last time New Jersey was truly relevant? And you can, the Taylor Hall Hart Trophy anomaly season. I don't like the Devils look like they're going to be a factor for years to come. They've got an elite center. Maybe they've got Meyer for the long term. I love their defense. Uh, I, I the, the New Jersey Devils look like they are turning into a consistent Eastern Conference factor. So even though they gave up a lot, they gave up less than I thought they might. I don't hate San Jose's return the same way others do, but. I love that addition for the New Jersey Devils. Absolutely love it. Um, I love what Tampa did with Janot. That looks like a long-term member of the Lightning. That looks like a guy that they... It, it's Brandon Hagel 2.0 is what it is. Janot's having a down year in Nashville. He had a great year last year. They see a need for that type of player to really fill out what they believe is important for them to win a third Stanley Cup in four years. 
They paid through the nose for it, and they're fine with that because they don't care about the future right now. The Tampa Bay Lightning are invested in one thing and one thing only, and that is trying to win a third Stanley Cup here. So I love that Julian Brisebois went out, identified something, did what it takes to bring him in, uh, did, did what it takes rather to bring him in, and I think is going to be a long-term member of the Lightning himself. Look at how well it's worked with Hagel. I give the Leafs credit for what they're doing. No messing around. And my last bullet point would be, when does the West get involved? What have we seen in the West? We've seen Johnson to Colorado. To Colorado. Jack Johnson back in Colorado. And we Nino. saw Nino Niederreiter, El Nino to Winnipeg, which I think will be a nice fit for a Jets team that needs a shot in the arm right now. So there's... Two minor-ish deals. I mean, neither rider's not minor, but it's not of the variety that we've seen out East. When does the West get involved? So those are some of my observations. I like what New Jersey did in bringing in Meyer without sacrificing some of their top-end prospects, whether it be um, Dawson Mercer, who's on the roster right now, or Luke Hughes, or Simon Nemich, or, you know, the list kind of goes on and on a little bit. Alexander Holtz. So I... Tip of the cap to the New Jersey Devils for being able to bring in what they project to be a 40 to 50 goal scorer without having to sacrifice one of your top probably four or five prospects currently within the organization. Um, I'm curious about the West. I really am. I don't know what the appetite is. Clearly, there's an appetite out East to load up and go all in. Like That's what five or six teams, if you even want to include the New York Islanders who are on the bubble before bringing in Horvat just before the All-Star break. There's a lot of teams in the East pushing all their chips in. We haven't necessarily seen that from the West, which makes me curious about what pricing remains and what what you'd have to pay versus what you can also get if you're looking to sell. The West has me more intrigued now. Well, I mean, it's not fair to ask the East to do any more of the heavy lifting than it's already done when you look at all the moves that have been made. But I just wonder what the appetite is in the West to load up. Because to me, the West right now, as it stands, is completely wide open. Maybe outside Colorado, maybe the Avalanche get the little nod in the tip of the hat because they're defending cup champions. And until they've been beaten, they're still the cup champs. You're always going to be a favorite when you have the banner hanging in your building. But I wonder what the appetite is for the Dallas Stars or for the Winnipeg Jets or for even the Minnesota Wild who are in an interesting situation at the end of the season. I'll be very curious to yeah. see who, if anybody, absolutely shoves those chips in from the West and says, we're coming for you. Aaron Vickers, Pat Steinberg, and we've got deadline day coverage for you on Sportsnet 960, The Fan, and across our family of podcasts on Friday. Flames Talk will be uh, recapping and rehashing and diving in onto what happened with the Flames and elsewhere. That'll be on Friday. And our deadline day coverage will be brought to you by our friends at Tuxedo Source for Sports. It may be trade deadline season, but it's time to gear up for another great ball season. Southern Alberta's best selection of bats, gloves, and everything you need to be at the top of your game is at Tuxedo Source for Sports, 2520 Center Street North. Hey, it's Haley Salvian from The Athletic. For a look at the latest on your Calgary Flames and NHL news, go click and subscribe to the Hockey Central 960 podcast. While you're there, please rate and review the show. You're locked on Flames Talk. Only on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, let's go inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. Cal and Gary's is the only family of products Curated for the taste of Calgarians, and you'll only find them at Calgary Co-op. Steinberg and Vickers with you. It's been a uh, frustrating last little bit for the Flames. I grant you that. No one's going to dispute that. 
But there has been one kind of, not one, but one of the constant positives for me. There's been a few of them. You know, Dylan Dubé's been really good. Michael Backlund. Michael Backlund's Tyler been Toffoli. solid. Foley's been really good. But one of the constant positives that I've really appreciated and I think has only gotten better is the play of Jacob Pelche. And even in some of the frustrating losses, more often than not, I find him to be a really positive element for the Flames. I find him noticeable. I like the things that he's doing. I find him dangerous, so on and so forth. And the way that he's playing is one of the reasons why, going back earlier this hour to the conversation we were having, it's it's why I'm okay with them not aggressively adding at the deadline or even the idea of them strategically selling off an asset or two before the deadline is because of the way this young man's playing him, uh, playing rather, because I don't want, honestly, I don't want to see a personally, I don't want to see a 32 year old come in and displace Pelche from the top nine. Cause I think that he's played really well. I, I want him to stay in the lineup. I want to see him stay in the roster and I want to see him stay in the situation that he's in right now. Like, Keep him here. Keep him developing. Let him flourish. Let him improve. Put him so that, or, or, or allow him to play the type of minutes that will help him so that he goes into the offseason knowing exactly what he needs to do to be even better for next year and be in a spot where he comes into training camp in September of this year. This fall, he comes in expected to make a, a make an impact. And he comes in and is ready to be an impact player from day one. I guess part of my thought process with this, and I, I agree with you on on a lot of those points, my thought process is trade deadlines on Friday. I personally would hesitate greatly to move a first or second round pick. Not sure I'd be selling off too many prospects. So if you look at what you can get on the open market right now for a third or later, that's going to play in your top six. There's not a whole lot there. And to bring in somebody that is going to give you more than what Jacob Pelche has given you since January 26th, since he was moved on that line with Nazem Kadri and Jonathan Huberto, I don't think it's necessarily realistic. Here are the numbers since that game where he was elevated from the fourth line to the third line briefly and then to the second line. Since January 26th, he's seventh on the team in shots with 23. He's 10th in points with six. He's tied for fourth with three goals. He's tied for second with two power play goals. Tied for second with three power play points. Twelfth in ice time. His line is looking a lot more energetic, I think, with him on the wing. I think that's fair. I think he's given a little bit of jump to Jonathan Huberto and a little bit of jump to Nazem Kadri. I think he's been able to open up some space for those two players simply because he does have a bit of speed to his game. So he's able to dart into the zone and push the defense back a little bit. And the most important thing for me, Yes, he's been sheltered with 70% offensive zone starts, that whole line has, but he hasn't been a liability defensively one bit, and I know that's something the head coach would really focus on. If he was a liability from the center ice back, I'm not necessarily sure he'd be playing as much as he is. We've seen him in routinely above 15 minutes in certain games since that elevation of that line, 
for me, there's no reason to to tinker, to touch, to try and find an addition to play the wing on that line with what he's given you so far. I uh, caught up with Jonathan Huberto after practice on Monday. By the way, Jacob Markstrom did not practice. Congratulations to him yes. and his partner. They have welcomed their first child to the world. So congratulations to uh, Jacob and family. That was uh, really neat news on Monday. So Markstrom did not practice on Monday. Otherwise, Forward's the same. Defense looked a little different. Rasmus Anderson with Mackenzie Weger, Hannafin with Tanev. That was the uh, the practice blue line. A little tease. We'll see if it works that way at morning skate on Tuesday. Nonetheless, back to Pelche. Caught up with Jonathan Huberto after practice on Monday. Get uh, his line mate's view as to how Jacob has progressed this year. How are you seeing him come along and get more comfortable and, and kind of feel more and more at ease at this level? Um, I mean, every day I think, you know, you, you grow as a player, you grow as a person too, and, you know, I think, you know, it takes some time, but I feel like, you know, he's, play, he's playing well and he, he works hard and, you know, he creates some opportunity out there, you know, to, to get some scoring chance for us, and, you know, that's what he does best, so fast guy, you know, obviously as a, as a kid you have a lot of things to learn, and, uh, I mean, he's learning every day, and he's, he, the things that I like about him is he's willing to learn. And, you know, we just, like, enjoy being here and, uh, you know, enjoy be, be getting better. You, know? you feel like he, he kind of, from the outside, seems like he's a guy who really is, wants to wants to learn, wants to get better. You've you've seen a lot of that, hey? Yeah, I, I did. I think he's, uh, you know, I can tell just the way, you know, he is. He, he wants to get better and he, you know, talks to me all the time. And, you know, he can, he can tell he's a vocal guy, you know. He's just, obviously, when you're, you're a kid, you don't, you can't really talk that much, you know, on the bench. But he's still like, you know, he's a kind of that, that cares about everyone. And, you know, even as a young age, you know, he, somebody who makes a good play is going to be on the bench, you know, and kind of congratulating him and getting him going. So that, that's what you need on the bench, good, good energy. That's what he has. What, uh, what are some of the things that, that you can kind of help him with and, and some areas that, that you've been able to maybe pass along to him? Yeah, more like obviously offensively, kind of, you know, small plays that – that's going to create some room for him, you know, to, to get some more time with the puck. So I think that's what I'm good at and that's what I, I was good at. And, you know, it's uh, something you, you want to create some room for you and that's that's to make some plays in, you know, middle of the zones. So I think I, I kind of try to teach him that. And at the end of the day, I mean, he's a, he's a guy that's got a lot of skills, so there's not much to, to, to learn. But I think he's just, you know, offensively, obviously he's got he's got a lot of tools. When you uh, when you come into this league, sometimes it feels like you know it can take a little while to be confident using those skills, and and you know not wanting to make a mistake. Are you feeling like that confidence is coming too? Yeah, for sure. At first, you know, you come in and you don't want to make mistakes, and you know you, sometimes you're not gonna make the play that you probably want to because you don't want to make you know that that chance that is gonna turn turn it over or something. But I think over time, when you play more games, you get more comfortable, and you know you get. You get chemistry to you with your line mates, so that's what we're trying to to get more, and that's what we're gonna do. So a young guy comes onto the line like that that can kind of give you a little bit of enthusiasm, excitement. Uh, did you feel that right from the get go when he jumped on with you too? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, I, we just want to make it work. You know, it hasn't been easy for for me. You know, uh, this year. So I think whoever comes in, you know, you want to make it work and. Jacob, you know, came in and, you know, you know, he can make some plays, and that's what I told him, you know, let's make some plays together, and, you know, 
know, we're going to get our line better. So that's what we want to do. So. What did you make of that pass in Vegas? That worked pretty well, hey? Yeah, it did, yeah. That was a... You know, that's the kind of stuff you, you want it to happen more often. So that's a great look, you know, ent- enter- entering zone and, you know, didn't look at me and he knew he knew I was going there. So that's that's the kind of stuff that has to come, like, more often. And, you know, that that's the thing that's going to come and going to click more over time. So. There you go. Jonathan Huberdeau talking a little bit about his line mate, Jacob Pelche, how it's coming for Jacob. It's been a It's been a real positive story so far, and there's no reason, in my opinion, for the Flames to be thinking about sending him back to the American League. There's no reason, in my opinion, for them to be, you know, looking at it and saying, ah, you know, this league, I think it, I think he will be an NHLer, but eh, maybe it's not ready, right, right for him yet. Maybe that fleshes itself out or plays itself out, but as of right now, he's looked very much at home at the, at the highest level. I do wonder how much it actually benefited. I know it was the... Not thrilling for Calgary Flames fans when he was a healthy scratch for what was it six straight to five start or straight, five or straight to, right. to do the call up. But I wonder how much that benefited him just being around the team, seeing how certain guys may be prepared before elevating him into that fourth line role. And then from that fourth line role, fourth line role, pardon me, woo, he really was able to build and build and build until he eventually landed on that second line. And I've got a question for you, Patrick. Yes, sir. Name me one player on the Calgary Flames, and this might be because he's new. Name me one player that looks like he loves scoring goals as much as Jacob Peltier. Michael Backlund would be the only one. That was the only one that I think could, could compare. And granted, one's a significant veteran. The other is a significant rookie. But every time Jacob Peltier scores, or even my when, goodness, even or a when he's on the ice yeah. and they score. I always, every time, like even if he's in the corner and one, I'm like, did Pelche score? Because he's celebrating like he scored. I love it. It's it's cool. That type of enthusiasm, enthusiasm. fun. I don't know if there's contagious. enough of that. I don't it's know contagious. And, and I agree. It is. You could even hear it in, in Jonathan's voice there when talking about him. I think it is contagious, infectious, and, and something that you can really build on. I do think Backlund has been as fired up this year on some of those goals. If I was having his season, I'd be fired up too. Like when he he went uh, knee down on the, the goal he scored against Philly and did it right in the face of one of Philly's defenders. I'm like, Do right. you know what? I love a little uh, tangent, but and it, 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 I've seen Michael Backlund do this. I've seen it happen at Scotiabank Saladome. But if you score in an opposing building and then just go and bang against the glass, to me, that's the greatest. My that's... favorite ever was Dustin Bufflin, member of the Chicago Blackhawks Ooh. still. So this would have been their, I believe it was their cup year. So their first cup year. So this would have been the 09-10 season. And Vancouver, Chicago, round two, I believe. And Vancouver could not get past Chicago for a couple of years. Remember, there was seven Wongo. And, uh, <laughs> one, one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite Twitter language things, seven Wongo gets me every time. And they were in Vancouver. Bufflin scored. I believe the Hawks were coming back. Bufflin scored as a forward and rang the boards with his arms out. Like basically went from corner to corner with his arms out like a bird face to the Canucks fans and went along the entire end boards corner to corner. And I was like, this guy rules because it was the Canucks. And you're like, yes, stick it. Uh, That one is my all time favorite in a road building Giving it to opposing fans. I mean, that's uh, that's something. That takes a lot of enthusiasm and I don't want to say bravery, but that uh, 
takes a certain type of individual to be able to, I don't want to say showboat, but celebrate that much in an opposing building. I just love it when they go and bang the glass and, yeah, did it to your team right in front of you. Here you go. Eat it. My favorite. Uh, There you go. That's our look inside hockey for Calgary Co-op with new product families, member rewards, and sale events. You'll find more quality, more savings in every department every day at Calgary Co-op. Dylan and Revy says, uh, Pat, when you interview players in the locker room, you use that tickle fight voice. Yes. I'm not entirely sure what that... Could you just give us like a very brief... I can try. So a lot of times in the locker room, you're like, you're having a conversation, but you're like, you know... I don't want other people to hear this. Like I'm doing an interview with somebody like I get it. We're very open, but I'm not going to be like, Hey, Jonathan, tell me about Jacob Pelche. Well, there's a scrum going on four four feet away from me. So you, huh. you, you know, my voice is, I project. So I try to bring it down a little bit. So oftentimes you're used to me on this show sounding like this. And then you hear me in an interview in the locker room. I'm like, uh, Jonathan, uh, the, uh, Jacob Pelche was uh really, that was a really nice goal. He uh, helped you. That up in Las Vegas. Uh, tell us about that. And it can be, it's, I, I'm exaggerating <laughs> a little bit, but it can sometimes be stark because of your different settings. Well, there you go, Dylan and Revy. Thank That's you. That's why it happens. Thank you, Dylan and Revy, because I'm not sure I've been witness to Pat's voice in the room. Usually I'm in a scrum with him, but when he's not in a scrum, I'm in the scrum. He's doing his one-on-ones. So I have that to haunt me the rest of the day. It's like the... Anna Gasteyer and uh, Molly Shannon on the NPR skit from SNL. One of my favorites of all time. That's that's the I, voice I do. Is that the one with uh, Baldwin? Alec Baldwin, yeah. Okay. Not sure I'm allowed to say those words. Pete Schwetty? <laughs> yeah. That's, <laughs> okay. That's, that's the one. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Fair okay, enough. on that note, that'll wrap us up this hour. For Aaron Vickers, he's on Twitter at AA Vickers. For the outstanding duo of Taylor Digman and Cameron Hughes, my name is Pat Steinberg. This has been the Sports Drive at 5, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Be proactive in protecting your property. Get a full security audit from Calgary Lock and Safe. Visit calgarylockandsafe.com.